All right, everybody, welcome in for another episode. RJ Bell's Dream Preview, the college basketball edition, pregame.com. I'm AJ Hoffman. He is Griffin Warner. Griffin, how are you today, man? I'm doing well. Uh, happy 2022 for those of us that are just joining us because uh, apparently the college basketball season just officially kicked off, even though I've been, uh, we've been doing this show for a long time, months, it feels like. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a wild year. And I guess we knew it was going to be a wild year. Uh, it felt almost normal for the first month, month and a half. And then uh, the bleep started to hit the fan, as the kids say. And uh, it's it's been one of those those wild runs once again. But we're trying to listen. All we can do is tell you about these games that, that you know, and hope that they get played. Unfortunately, your best bet from last episode did not did not get played. And I probably mushed it because I said, you know, it's funny. None of the games we've talked about have been uh, canceled yet. And then boom canceled so i'll take the blame for that it's it's nice if, if i can jump in for a second it's nice as a providence uh where i grew up in east providence uh and i was going against the hometown team so maybe the uh maybe it was a good thing for for podcast and for program you know i i don't know for sure but maybe just for for your uh you know for your sake next time you go back home and walk those streets you, you'll at least feel safe. How about that? Yeah, maybe. Uh, let's start with a game that's already been hammered. When we were discussing this game, we projected Michigan about plus seven, and we were a little off. It opened at seven and a half, and now about four hours, three hours after it opened, it's Illinois minus 10. So if you if you wanted to bet Illinois – you may have lost your window to do it comfortably, or maybe not. Uh, but let's let's get into it because Michigan, woof, uh, not not nearly what we thought they were coming into the season. And you know the loss at the end of the year against Central Florida, like okay, Central Florida is pretty decent. It's a road game, but losing by fourteen to to that team just seems off. And then coming in and following that up with a blowout loss at Rutgers. And I get the Big Ten home court is a, is a big deal, but then they also lost a home game to Minnesota. So there's some real questions about if this Michigan team is good at all. And one thing we do know is Illinois is good. Uh, Illinois is a machine, especially down low. They are going to get points in the paint. They are going to make it very difficult for you to get points in the paint, and they are probably going to win the rebound battle in uh, in, in every game. It's if if not every game, almost every game. Where does Michigan have a strength in this game? What can Michigan do to slow down Kofi and and, and company uh, on the road at Illinois? Well, uh, the host is setting me up with a really easy to answer question right off the bat. Uh, Glad I had my coffee or chocolate or whatever the heck. Uh, yeah, good question. Um, Hunter Dickinson is the guy that we look at when you think about M Michigan, and he is a seven-foot big body that can battle with Kofi Coburn. Uh, but I don't know that he's able to stop him. Uh, I'm very worried about Michigan uh, for a lot of reasons, and I'll, I guess I'll just go through that right now. Uh, coming off a of COVID pause – and it's not like you're starting with the dregs of the conference, uh, having to deal with Illinois, who um, 
started the year off not as they wanted to. Uh, and I think that only makes them hungrier and the fire burn even hotter uh, for them coming into conference play and down the, down the stretch because they know that they've kind of missed some of the uh, opportunities or the chances to get a, a top seed. And they know that they really can't take games lightly. Uh, and that's a really scary thing to come off of a COVID pause. And I wonder if some of the line movement is because uh, it's very possible that some guys that we're expecting will be available for Michigan might not be, uh, which would make it even a lot more challenging for them to hang around in what will be a, a crazy environment in Champaign. And, you know, <laughs> I don't really see a lot of the spots. I mean, Juwan Howard has shown that he's, a, he's a, a capable coach, despite not really doing much at the college level. But as an NBA assistant, he certainly knows what he's doing and, and has won games before on like game plans alone, as he did against Florida State in the NCAA tournament last year. Uh, but the deck, the deck is kind of stacked against him. And I just don't know, even if Dickinson does have a good night, if he has enough around him to make it worth uh, wanting to, because I mean, at, at a number of 10 versus seven and a half, you certainly it likely will cover fouling late if it's tight. Uh, but I'm not even sure it's that close for that long. Yeah, there's, it certainly brings up questions about who's going to be playing for Michigan, and we really don't know. Uh, you mentioned Illinois not having the start that they wanted. If you remember, Coburn missed the first three games. Uh, if not, I mean, he's their best player, but may, maybe the best player in the country. He's in that discussion, in my opinion. Uh, and the, two of their losses were a game that he was out and his first game back. So it's... It, you know, I, I still think this team is better than what the metrics say they are. They came into the season fourth in Ken Palm, lost those two games. They've lost one game since against Arizona, a four-point game, a good, good game against Arizona, and they're sitting at 12th. Uh, the The question is, like, what's their – what have they done? Like, who have they really gone up against? And their best wins on the road at Iowa, and we I just said any road road win in the Big Ten is a, is a good win – and, you know, Illinois got three of them, Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska. That's that's nothing to sneeze at going, you know, going 3-0 and on the road. So I, I do believe this is a really, really good team. I can't say that about Michigan right now, and I certainly can't say it about whatever team Michigan's going to roll out tomorrow because I don't know what the deal is with Hunter Dickinson. And Michigan's under they, – they've got no reason to tell us who's going to play and who's not going to play coming out out of this break. And uh, if Dickinson's one of the names, I don't even know how you can, how you can look at him. I, I, in fact, I'll just say you can't possibly look at him. I, I don't know what number it would take, but if you said uh, Dickinson's not going to play, it's Illinois plus 13 or Illinois minus 13. I'm probably leaning to Illinois at that point. So there's just a lot of questions about this. Uh, I, I the, the the line move itself tells me that something's off. The fact that it opened and immediately got hammered. Numbers like that don't get hammered that hard, you know, this early. Uh, you see the biggest moves early morning, typically. Uh, th this is, you know, two and a half points in, in a couple hours is, is off. So th that tells me that something's wrong with Michigan. I would have actually liked Illinois at seven and a half, I think. But now this just tells me there's just too many questions for me to even give it a real look. Yeah, I think it also brings up just the discrepancies in certain teams where I'm trying my best to, uh, while certain lines might seem off and there might seem like there's value on certain teams, I think you need to 
think about who you're backing in these situ situations because ultimately you got to ride with them for 40 minutes. And unless you're comfortable with a team or feel like they have some ways to cause problems to a favorite in this case, uh, you really got need to feel like you want to bat actually back them and bet them and root for them for 40 minutes. So I would keep that in mind because Michigan hasn't done a lot to make me want to feel any sort of comfort in uh, putting some a couple doll hairs on the line. You can't win bets in 36 minutes? Yeah. You, I know that AJ would be cashing them if they only lasted 30 I, I, I need to find that market, the 36-minute college basketball handicap anymore. I'm the king of that shit. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's go to a, a good matchup here. Tennessee, we're going we're gonna to say plus five at Kentucky. Uh, this is on Saturday. And Tennessee, you know, I, I, I mentioned at the beginning of the year, I was high on Tennessee. Not the start you would have hoped for in conference play, you know, when they got that win over Arizona, it felt like, Oh boy, that's a, that's like a season defining win. They followed it up with a loss at Bama. Okay. It's a good sec team. You lose on the road. And then they almost lost to Ole Miss. Who's not a good sec team. This was at home. They won in overtime and then they went to LSU and got smoked and came back and, and, you know, this week on Tuesday, they they smacked around South Carolina, which doesn't tell you anything. And now you've got to go to Kentucky. So is Tennessee five games into the SEC season going to be a two and three team? I, I, I certainly wouldn't have thought that coming into the season. I certainly wouldn't have thought that the way they played, you know, in, in the non-con, uh, you know, wins over Arizona, wins over North Carolina, their losses – an, an overtime loss against Texas Tech and a loss against Villanova. So I, I was – and a win at Colorado too, a true road win at Colorado. So I thought we were going to get a better version of what we've seen of Tennessee. LSU really just exposed them from an athletic standpoint. And I don't know if Kentucky's quite that, but I'll, I'll be honest, often when I think of like a comp for LSU, I, I think of Kentucky. And I, I think – Kentucky's a little less athletic, uh, a little lesser on defense version of LSU. But I, I think you can make a reasonable comp. But Kentucky still has, in my opinion, a, a pretty questionable resume. The, the North Carolina win still looks solid. But every other good team they've played, they've lost to. Duke, Notre Dame, LSU, they've lost. And Notre Dame's not even that good, and they lost. Uh, but they've, you know... Th this run of wins that they've had, Vanderbilt, Georgia, High Point, Mizzou, Western Kentucky, that's that's their wins since the North Carolina game. And before that, they had one win uh in inside the top two or inside the top two hundred of Ken Palm, and that was Ohio. So I don't know how well battle tested this Kentucky team is. And this is going to be, you know, right up there with LSU and Duke as the most talented team they've seen that they've matched up against. Are you a buyer in what Kentucky's done? And does the early SEC results of Tennessee scare you away from them? You know, I'm not, uh, and clearly, I mean, this is why people come in and, and listen to this, this podcast, because AJ does a ton of research and the winners will follow. Um, I just think that uh, from what I see from from Tennessee is a really good defense with a, just a very questionable offense and not really being sure what you're going to get on any given night, day, whenever they're playing games. If they're making threes, they are so hard to beat, uh, but it's going to be a really tough ask for them, I think, at Rupp Arena 
in one of the biggest college basketball stadiums in the country, if not world. Um, and, you know, it's just something that I'm worried about what they look like on the road. Um, I think normally a team of the caliber of Tennessee is someone I'd want to look at when they're getting more than a possession, but really tough environment. And a lot of questions about that offense makes me think that uh, they're going to be pretty hard to back. Now, on the other hand, with Kentucky uh, dealing with Xavier Wheeler, who's got a neck or head, some from take run into a screen full speed, basically has had been messed up since I think a couple games ago against LSU. Um, I, I'm not really sure what I think about Kentucky yet. I will say that this is the time of year where Coach Cal usually gets his freshmen playing on a whole nother level than they started the year. Um, I don't know that the growth necessarily will will multiply like it does in most years when his team's really young. Um, but I do, I'm a little bit cautious and want to kind of see what Kentucky turns into because they're a little bit different than, than they have been in the past. Still really good defensively. Um, I think they have more shooting than they normally do, whether that's really shown up yet, I'm not sure. And then Oscar Shibway, the West Virginia transfer, just seems like someone that you have to game plan for. Because if you just let him roam around, he's going to grab as many offensive rebounds as are available. And it's really hard to beat a team like Kentucky that, that excels defensively if you're giving them a bunch of extra opportunities on the other end. Uh, I don't know that Tennessee have like or Tennessee has a really good uh, center to, to mess with Shibway. They do have a bunch of big bodies, um, but I just don't know that any of them can really uh, keep Shibway off the offensive glass. And if if Tennessee's not shooting well, which they might not on the road, if they're giving extra opportunities to Kentucky and Kentucky's going to play def- defense like they, they normally do, then I just don't know where five will be enough for me to, to back Tennessee. Yeah, Tennessee does feel like the kind of team I want to back as a dog, but I just don't I don't know what to think of them right now. And you're right, I don't know that they've got a, an answer for Shibwe. He's just such a – I mean, this dude – I don't know that I've seen a season like he's having. Like, you know, just from a, a – like, he's so far and away the best in the country at what he does, just at, at rebounding the ball. And then the last couple nights, last couple games, he's put up 30 points. So like this is it. West Virginia, it felt like all he was was a rebounder and defensive guy, and now he's—I mean—he's—he's carrying this offense the last few games, albeit against lesser competition. But you're right. I I do what I do question where the growth comes. I mean, obviously, Ty Ty Washington can get better, uh, and and I think he he has gotten better. But the rest of these guys, Davion Mintz, Kellen Grady, these are guys who have, have been around the block. They kind of are what they are. Uh, and and Cal hasn't, even in games that he's really had opportunities to see some more of these freshmen, like Bryce Hopkins, someone like that, he hasn't used them nearly as much as I would have expected. So I, I think Kentucky may be what they are right now. I don't know if, if Tennessee, what the room for growth is. I, I mean, certainly they their best player is is a freshman, and if if you tell me that's the case, my instant thought is their their, their best player, their their ball handler is a freshman. They're going to be a lot better, you know, in February than they are in November. Uh, but I, I don't know if that's going to be the case with this team. I, I maybe my what I thought was their ceiling is not quite where it is because this team they're not as good of a shooting team as I thought they were going to be. So. Uh, this will be a good matchup to see where they where they uh, where they gauge against the rest of the SEC. Let's go to the Big Twelve, and this isn't really one of the biggest games of the week, but I, I thought that you know with with the first two, Michigan, Illinois, Tennessee, Kentucky, these are teams we've talked about quite a bit. 
Uh, Oklahoma TCU, we haven't talked about as much. We, we hit on Oklahoma last week because they played Texas and got just smoked uh, on the road. Is going to TCU going to net them any different of a result? Well, as a uh, Oklahoma backer uh, against uh, my alma mater, which is always a uh, difficult situation, probably would never do that in football, but uh, it's been fairly profitable over the shock smart years. So maybe maybe Chris Beard was a good hire. But, um, you know, I, I think from talking about Oklahoma, uh, they shot one for 13 from three. Uh, really hard to win a road game like that, especially against a good defense. But uh, I think this is a good spot for them because – TCU uh, with a gaudy record right now at 11 and two, uh, but should have lost at Kansas State early in the week. Had I don't know how Kansas State gave the game away, but had a lead like maybe with 30 seconds left and gave up two threes. I think it was to TCU. Um, pretty incredible collapse there. And but but I guess along those lines, uh, TCU has been a little bit feisty, a little bit better than I thought as they've beaten me a few times earlier this season, taking. Uh, some underdogs that were heading into Fort Worth, which I had not thought was a uh, huge home court advantage, and I still don't necessarily think it is. But um, they're they're known. Uh, Jamie Dixon knows what he's doing. Uh, I think there's a ceiling or a limit on what he can do with a program, and that's probably why he kind of got run out of pit and, and went back to his alma mater at TCU to take this job. Um, but Mike Miles is one of the best players, I think, in the country that not, not a lot of people talk about. He's like Fran Fraschill is like, darling so whenever Franz on a on a podcast broadcast whatever wherever you're listening to him he's shouting out Mike Miles um and so that's a really good point guard but uh besides that TCU's pretty limited I think they got uh PV a transfer from Texas Tech a bizarre year when people are leaving Texas Tech for TCU in conference but um <laughs> ultimately I think what I what I see in TCU so far is a Jamie Dixon style team that's going to defend pretty well. It's going to be questionable offensively. They got a really bad three point shooting percentage, uh, but this could be a, a, a pretty, I think it's going to be a toss up is I guess where I'm going with this, that it, as the number gets bigger on Oklahoma, I get more interested, but I don't know that it'll even get to that like full possession type of mark. Uh, and ultimately I guess as TCU or as, as home court is becoming more and more important to me this season with, with crowds looking like they'll still be there uh, in full for, at least uh, it doesn't seem like we're going back to, to shutdowns or anything like that, which I'm, I'm thankful for. Uh, I guess lean TCU, despite what I've just said, um, but I'm not sure that I'm feeling that interested in it um, until I get a little bit more of a feel for what TCU really is besides Mike Miles. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Mike Miles being a really good point guard. It's, Oklahoma's kind of missing that. And Jordan Goldwire, you'd think a senior guy, you know, and, and, it seems like it would it would have been a big year for him. It just really hasn't been. And Oklahoma, offensively, 313th in steal percentage allowed, which is just a, a dreadful number, 299th in overall turnover percentage. And one other thing in this matchup where I see TCU having a real edge is, is on the glass. Uh, TCU is an elite, elite offensive rebounding team which is good because they miss a ton of shots. They, they've got to have those. They've got to have extra looks. They, they're not good on offense. They're, they're not efficient. They don't, they don't shoot threes well. They don't really even shoot twos well. They're, they're just a bad offense, but they get a lot of, they get a lot of chance. It's volume. Uh, whereas Oklahoma, they get almost no offensive rebounds. And um, this is a really tough game. For, I, I don't like this Oklahoma team. I don't like what I've seen from them. But I'm scared that 
TCU, you mentioned their gaudy record and sitting at 11 and two, which looks really nice until you dig into who they've played and their best win is probably Texas A&M on a neutral, maybe Kansas state, like you said, on the road, which was a little bit of a fluky win. Uh, they, they don't have a lot of, of quality data points that make you go, yeah, they can hang with Oklahoma here. So in Oklahoma, on the other hand, while they've got the losses, lost lost at Baylor, lost at Texas, uh, lost to Butler in overtime, lost to Utah State, but got a win over Florida, a win over uh, Iowa State. These are these are quality wins. A win at UCF where we were just talking about Michigan got blown out. So they're a lot more battle tested. It's probably a, a just a, a, a sit back game for me and, and see what these teams do. Uh, if TCU gets a win here, I'm probably taking them a little bit more seriously. But it, it, the one other thing to look at is the spot here for TCU because Tech, uh, Oklahoma coming off the Texas game, which is obviously a big game to them. Their next game on Tuesday is every every team in the Big 12's biggest game. It's Kansas at home. So, like, this is a big sandwich spot for this Oklahoma team who is going – Texas, TCU, then Kansas and Baylor, their next two. If you're going to have a sleepy spot, it's probably this TCU game on the road, right? Yeah, I think after a pretty tough rivalry loss, um, that might be minimized a little bit. Um, but I do think that Oklahoma might be looking like one of those teams that is a uh, a decent – look at home but i think that their offense on the road is starting to look a little bit problematic to me uh i think as you mentioned with goldwire who is really uh i think only played for duke uh duke transfer only played for duke really when they were in really struggling to stop an opposing point guard uh or when they were missing players or with foul trouble or injury or whatever so i just think he was never really the the choice and i don't know that he's going to suddenly become that um for oklahoma i just i'm i'm worried about their offense and i think the more we talk about it the more i'm 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 uh I'm, I'm getting more interested in TCU every second this goes, so we might want to switch to another game ASAP. <laughs> All right, let's look at a battle of two really good teams in a really bad conference. Uh, Murray State, we're going to project at plus six at Belmont. Ken Palm has this a little bit higher. They've got it at seven. I have a hard time believing it'll be seven points. Because I, I think this not if it is seven, it really even at six, the number's kind of disrespectful to Murray State, who has been the clear number two in this conference for a while, and it's it's not really far behind Belmont in the OVC. They their last nine matchups. This is how close this conference this this series is between these two teams. The last nine matchups, you look at it and you say, oh, Belmont's six and three in these matchups. The scoring margin over those nine games is Belmont by three. So in nine games, these games are, are always close. These teams play each other tough. And this Murray team, like last season, they stunk. They they finished 13 and 13. It was just a disastrous year. They lost John Morant, who was really their identity. And they COVID screwed them over several times. It was just a bad season for them. And they came into the season kind of disrespected. And They've moved up 50 spots in Ken Palm since the start of the season, and most of that's been on the on the defensive end. That's where they've really improved. And I think people just kind of forgot how good this program is year in and year out. And 
if they had forgotten, they certainly remembered when they went on the road and won at Memphis. So that that was a sort of an eye-opening thing. Like, okay, this team's back, and KJ Williams is is a good matchup for uh, for Moose. Uh, this is a guy who these guys have seen each other now for for three straight years. Uh, he's not Moose isn't going to go in and dominate like he does to these crummy uh, OVC teams. So I, I I like Murray State here if the number is really six. I I, I think that these two teams are not nearly that far apart. Back before I was really lining every game a night, which adds so much longer to my college basketball handicapping, but hopefully does pull out some winners from time to time. I used to always look at this matchup because uh, I always felt like Murray State was overrated and that Belmont was the, the clear class of, of the conference and was going to be a little bit shorter of a favor than they should be. So I'm always looking for like a minus three on Belmont in this matchup. Um, I'm interested also in Murray State now if they're going to be catching this type of number because I just don't believe that Belmont is as strong as they were or, or as, as the program was under uh, Rick Bird. I just feel like Musinski is, is awesome inside, uh, but he for every point or two points that he gets on the interior, which I feel like they don't use him enough, but um, for every point or two points that he gets in there, he's going to have to defend Williams on the perimeter. And I'm a little bit nervous about that because uh, Williams has shown that he can make three pointers in the past. And I believe that he can do it. Plus I think this Murray state team is a lot deeper. Uh, Maybe they realized that they had to build a little bit differently after John Morant left, but uh, I mean, hard to follow up a season with a, a mid-major or low-major team, really, uh, that loses the number, I think it was number two draft pick in the NBA draft. So, you know, um, tough to to replace yeah. for sure. Um, but from what I look at with, with Belmont, honestly, is, is seeing them um, go to LSU and really, really struggle. Um, it's going to be a different situation at home, and but they've they've struggled at home with teams like Furman that they trailed throughout the game and went to overtime and barely survived. So um, I don't th- kind of as you mentioned the the rest of the conference is really really poor and the amount of uh, like I think Belmont was a 22 or 23 point favorite this week. So this is basically the biggest game that they got. Everyone's going to be going for this one, and I just don't know that Belmont is the strong team that they used to be in the past. So. Uh, you wouldn't have to twist my arm to have me be looking at Murray, especially at a number above a possession, which I think these two teams, as you mentioned, play really tight games. And uh, Belmont might be celebrating a three-point victory that will ultimately cover the spread for uh, for some betters. Yeah, the last couple of years, the OVC has been built a little bit differently. Like uh, Austin P was really good the last, last few years. Moorhead State's been really good the last few years. Moorhead's okay right now. Austin P is now one of the worst teams in the conference. But the OVC is not typically a, a conference that's got like, you know, five, six teams outside the top 300 of Ken Palm. Like they've got some some swack level teams going here. The OVC just way down over the last couple of years. And these these two teams are miles and miles above the rest of them. So but I, I do I, I, th- this was nearly my best bet was was Murray State. So if we get this number, Murray State's going to be a certain play well, for me. And let's also not forget that AJ's the man of the people putting on one of the better mid or, or as I called it, low major games on our uh, on our four top games of the weekend. So uh, kudos to you on that. That's probably the last OVC uh, matchup we'll have this season. I mean, besides their rematch. Unless you want to do like, you know, we can do SEMO and, and UT Martin when that comes up, if you're interested. But I I doubt it. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, let's get to best bets. And 
Boy, mine is uh, – I'm a little nervous because – you like the other side, and I, I you know, I, I, I'm going to stick to my guns. I'm going to stick to my handicap here. I'm going to go with VCU plus two and a half at St. Bonnie's, and I'm just, I'm, I'm a, I'm a seller on Bonaventure. I, I, I think that they are way too reliant on, and really, they've been way too reliant on their, their starters. This is a team that is 357th in bench minutes for the season. And now they've been hit with COVID and they've got no depth to speak of. They came off a pause. They, they hadn't played since December 17th. They came off pause on Tuesday against LaSalle, who's one of the worst teams in the Atlantic 10. And it, it, they went to overtime in that game with LaSalle. And this was such a crazy game. They had five players in an overtime game, a 45-minute game, five players who played 43 or more minutes. They had three bench minutes from two players in an overtime game. They have absolutely no depth. And now you're going up against a VCU team that is elite defensively, and they're going to make it extra difficult for a team with no bodies to go to. Uh, VCU is, I think, one of the more underrated teams in the country because they're not great on offense. But and they've been they've been banged up as well, but their last couple games they've gotten Levi Stockard back, they've gotten Jaden Nunn back. They both missed games early in conference play. They were both back on Tuesday against George Washington. And VCU's defense has traveled so far. They are 4 and 0 on the road, including wins over Dayton and Vanderbilt. And usually you don't find teams at this point in the season who are unbeaten on the road unless they just haven't played any road games. So I'm a believer in this VCU team. I think they are the class of the Atlantic 10, and I am selling this Bonaventure team who just is maybe less than any team in the country, less built to deal with a COVID outbreak like they just had. Yeah, you know, I guess I'll just give what I was thinking about uh, based on this number, uh, which seemed really short to me. You'd asked me before the show what I was making it, and uh, I'm scared to to say aloud uh, that I was expecting to be uh, St. Bonnie's well above a possession, and seeing minus two is pretty, pretty short. Uh, and, and so me trying to then come up with why the reasons for that. Um, I think you mentioned it. Depth has never been really a strength of St. Bonaventure. I think a lot of teams really shrink rotations as they get towards the end of the season, but that's certainly not what's happening here and is not what you want to do against a team like VCU that are going to make every possession difficult just getting the ball up the court. Um, I think from where I sit and what makes me interested in St. Bonaventure is believing that they're under the radar a little bit based on their preseason expectations, like pretty rare for an A-10 team uh, like the Bonnies to be like one of the kind of sleeper picks that a lot of people were thinking might be a good team to potentially win the national championship. I think priced in a, a region like well below 100 to 1, which is I think VCU will get from time to time and maybe Dayton, but uh, pretty rare for a team from Olean, New York. Um, and I think they returned all their starters, but to be frank, they've not really looked like the team everyone was expecting. A nine seed, I think, in the tournament last year, but uh, ultimately have had some trouble really, I think, with cohesion. I don't know if people are worried about their NBA 
dreams or, or whatever. And that might be kind of, there's only one basketball to go around. So that's been an issue. Uh, I think I was looking at the number and trying to figure out why I was so short. Certainly you've, you've outlined plenty of reasons. Uh, and I'm worried that even if they do maybe survive the turnover battle, uh, what that does to wearing down their, their legs. And if they need to make some jump shots late, how tough that'll be. Uh, still lean in Bonnie's, but you're, you're certainly making me not play it tonight. And I'm going to have to do a lot more uh, sleeping on it to think I'm really, uh, I don't necessarily want to fade an AJ best bet because they're due. Um, but, but certainly something I need to think a lot more about. Well, there you go. VCU plus two and a half is mine. Where are you going? I'm going to go with uh, staying in the A-10 and on Friday night as well. Pretty big. Uh, hopefully you can give you two winners and you guys can take the weekend off. Just kidding, because now it's, everything's turning up. Um, but I'm, I'm interested in the Richmond Spiders at home against the Davidson team that I don't really believe in. Uh, Davidson's been a great three-point shooting team uh, and kind of a throwback to this the Steph Curry days. And, and they actually have a South Korean uh, named, named Lee. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't have his first name in front of me and I don't want to uh, pronounce it wrong, but, um, and he's been a great shooter and, and has been around the program for a little while. Um, but ultimately I think that the Davidson defense has always been a problem. And I think they're going to have some really tough matchups here with Richmond who like to play an inverted offense under Chris Mooney with their big man, Grant Golden, who will be outside and will be forcing a, a pretty, um, like a traditional post from Austria, Brykovic, who wants to sit inside the whole time. I think he's going to have a tough time guarding gold in the perimeter. Uh, and Richmond don't really play with any sort of big man. They have that capability, uh, but ultimately are going to really make it tough on, on the Davidson defense by pretty much running all throughout the court, the front court, every time they have the ball. Now, Richmond certainly isn't a prom queen right now. They've been, I think, pretty disappointing for the last two seasons and certainly have had some pretty inconsistent play. Uh, which I know that Mooney's job is kind of on the line about it. Uh, but ultimately, I, I think their their difficult offense to defend is really important at home, which should be a great environment because Davidson still is a name program in the A-10. Uh, I just think Rich, Richmond, I think it makes sense to see them at, currently at a pick right now, the lines out there. Uh, ultimately, I, I'd like to back them at less than a three-point favorite, but uh, anything from from that type of number and below, and especially if it might even close an underdog, I'm pretty interested in seeing what uh, Richmond can do. It's funny. I, I, when you, when you said that play to me, I was like, Oh man, maybe like I'm a little scared of it. Davidson, the only game I can remember watching them play this year was Alabama and they beat Alabama. And now like when I think back to them, I'm like, Oh my God, Davidson must be really good. And the analytics certainly say they're good. I mean, this is – but coming into this season, I I think if you'd asked me who's better, Richmond or Davidson, I I would have said Richmond, and I would have felt pretty solid about it. I I guess this is just a matter of if you think that eventually the talent starts to to come – the cream rises to the crop. No, that's not it. Cream (laughs) rises to the top. I don't know. But something about cream – but if you think that, that the talent of Richmond finally shows itself, but Davidson, boy, that is a scary, a scary train to get in front of, isn't it? Well, I, and I think you're right. We're at a point of the season where the short home favorites blow a possession. Uh, there's usually a reason they're either very flawed, not very good, um, or there's uh, some sort of analytics change or maybe a, a disappointing start to the year that's, that's kind of put them where they are. So, uh, you're not going to find anybody cheap at this point of the season, I don't think. Um, and, and ultimately, you're going to have to run off teams that have, have not been playing well that you're thinking probably have a little bit more in them. Uh, and that's the gamble because Richmond may be the team that just is lackadaisical on defense and is really going to struggle to to keep Davidson from making three-pointers. And that's a, a good way for Davidson to take a lead and run away. I just... 
I'm not as much of a believer in Davidson as a program defensively being able to really hang on uh, or really to jump out to that type of lead against a, a tough Richmond offense, which is difficult for anybody to play against. Yeah, this is uh, this is interesting, too, because after this Richmond game, Davidson plays VCU, who I just said I, at VCU, who I just said I think is the best team in the Atlantic 10. So we may be discussing that on Tuesday, depending on how our best bets go this week. So. Uh, another good episode in the books, Griffin, and you know, got through all the games, VCU, St. Bonnie, Richmond, and Davidson, Murray State, Belmont, Oklahoma, TCU, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Michigan, Illinois was much of <laughs> Michigan, Illinois. Good luck with that, friends. Uh, I, I, I'm certainly curious to see what roster or, or at least what what bodies come out in the uniforms of Michigan. Uh, tomorrow night that's gonna that's gonna tell a story in its own right so uh griffin great job as always appreciate the time appreciate all the listeners out there thanks to brad and mckenzie in the back and we will come back to you guys on sunday with another episode previewing next week talk to you then